Amen. Amen. I want to just take a little survey as we begin. How many of you came to faith in Christ and were baptized before the age of 15? Before the age of 15. Will you stand up for just a second? Just a second. Before you, I just want you to see. Before the age of 15. All right. Thanks, thanks for standing up. Thanks for, for doing that. That's amazing to think about. Before the age of where uh, we start to harden our hearts, I think, in lots of ways, and before the age where uh, we think we know it all, maybe, and we are innocent, we are humble for, to a certain point, but most of all, we're, we're trusting as children. And so when we think about what we're doing here this week, it's a, it's a full-blown effort of everybody knowing that kingdom work gets done in children. Remember what it says in your bulletin under the pastor and partner paragraph. It's what the scripture said. Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. Remember the disciples, they wanted to stop the children because Jesus is too busy for children, right? He says, don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So important that we understand our rightful place in the kingdom is the, the place of, of children, no matter how old we are. Some of you didn't have the benefit of growing up in a Christian home like I did. And some of you haven't been... Christians that long. In fact, I, I want uh, you to raise your hand. If you came to know Christ and were baptized after the age of 30, would you raise your hand? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We praise the Lord that God got through in, in spite of all the circumstances of life and the, really the hardness that our hearts tend to take on as adults. And God broke through that. It, it's not impossible for adults to come to know Christ, but Statistics would tell us that if children don't come to know Christ by the age of 18, there's only like a 20% chance, and those numbers would more than bear themselves out in this place today that they would ever come to know Christ in a real and meaningful personal relationship with Him. So as we think about what's going on in our, our world, what, what's going on in our church, would you consider this thought? God's not done. No matter what age you came to know Christ, you just began. Whether it was a child or after 30, the Scripture would tell us, and the Scripture for this week is Philippians 1.6, and that's found on 983 in that Pew Bible if you need a copy of that. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to read it together in just a, a second. But God is still working. And the author of our lives is a good author, is He not? And He has a plan for all of us, I hate it when people move out of our community and away from our church, but I know God's still bringing people in to our community as well and to our church. And so God's working all over the place, and someone like Cameron and Alex are testimony to that, that we can have an impact in Southeast Asia. We have impact with other churches in, in other parts of Southeast Asia as well as a church. We, do you realize part of what you do through your tithes and offerings that contribute to kingdom work all over this world. We have about four, five, six of those different entities, different groups, different individuals that we support 
personally as a church, corporately as a church. And we praise God for that because they're carrying a message, a gospel message, good news to a hurting world. And God's not done. Would you hear the the scripture? Let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word and read this together from Philippians 1, 6. On the count of three, we're going to start. Okay, one, two, three. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Father, teach us from this word. Teach us this week more of the firm foundations you want us to build our lives upon. Father, teach us now, as adults and children and young people, all of us, together, what you'd have us know about you, about ourselves, about what you want us to do and how to do it. In your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You realize Paul writes this letter to the Philippians from a, a jail cell. Now, in, in those days, jails were a little bit rougher than even our, our day. And so, can you imagine, I can just in my mind imagine a rat running across Paul's toes as he writes these letters from the, the jail, and he writes with, with great passion and about great joy to the Philippians. And this is a prayer, this is in the context, this one verse is in the context of a prayer that he's praying, I thank the Lord every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Can you imagine Paul saying, hey, I know God's not done with you. I know there's a joy in me that's also in you, and I want you to experience the joy that I've experienced, and I not only want you to experience the joy I've experienced, I want other people to experience the joy I've experienced because of you and what you're going to share and how you're going to tell and how you're going to live. And so when we look at this passage, we, we see that we know it's God that began that good work. It was His initiative. God cared enough about humanity that He sent his one and only Son, and He sent us, sent Him to us because of His love for us. And that's the first foundation that I want you to see on that little construction sheet there, that we are building on the foundation. We've got to accept the love of God through Jesus. And as we think about that, the, the text for that this week will be the, the story of the calling of Levi and Matthew. And it's a story about a guy who's up and out, a tax collector that nobody likes. Tax collectors were on the, the low end of the social stratum, even though they were on the upper end of the financial uh, totem pole in that day. They had no other friends except other tax collectors and people that they could buy their friendship from. With parties and women and wine and all sorts of stuff like that. Matthew's at his tax collecting booth. I've got to watch these construction barriers. I don't want to trip. And it, He's, he's in his tax collecting booth and all of a sudden Jesus with his drawing power comes and he calls him, follow me. That's, that's the simple phrase he uses, follow me. And Matthew gets up and Luke's gospel tells us, leaves everything and follows him. He leaves all of his wealth, 
all of his greed, all of his material possessions. He can't go back to that way of life. And he follows Jesus. And I don't think he ever regretted it. The scripture would, what we're going to be focused on this week is from his gospel, from Matthew's gospel, the way God inspired him. And it tells us the good news of what happened as he related what Jesus had done through him. And it's all about him experiencing unconditional, sacrificial love, the love of Jesus. And when Jesus eats with Matthew and his friends in his house, because that's what Matthew knew to do, how can I get these irreligious tax collector sinner friends of mine in touch with Jesus and his group and his disciples who were already following him? And the only thing he knew to do was to throw a party. Can't you imagine the conversation around the punch bowl when John and James gather with Matthew's friends? I don't know. Let's call him Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus and James and John say, how's your week been? What have you been doing? Uh, well, well, the weather sure is nice. I don't know what they were talking about. But here's what I know. Those people far from God were brought close to God because Matthew cared enough to throw a party with a purpose for his friend because he had experienced the love of God through Jesus Christ and the acceptance. Even though he was undeserving, wicked, seen as a traitor by his own people, but probably his own family. Jesus said, follow me. I don't know where you are. I don't know how you're living. I know how some of you are, and I know how some of you are living, and I wonder, are you living with the joy and the love that Matthew lived in those days at that moment? Enough to care and to share because what does that look like? It looks like this, a reminder for me and for you that we have this confidence that God's not done with us. Would you just turn to the person next to you and say, God's not done with you. God's not done with you. No matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, just, uh, just, just do it. Just humor me for just a minute. Just make sure you're still awake. God's not done with you. Do it. God's not done with you. And God's not done. Now say, God's not done with me either. There you go. You got it. So what does that mean? That means you've got confidence that no matter what you do, He's not going to love you anymore. He already loves you as much as he can. And you live with the confidence that no matter what you do, he's not going to love you any less. Because his love for you is not based upon your performance. That's what Matthew learned. It's based on the goodness and calling Jesus. Are you walking in that kind of love and that kind of joy? That's Matthew 9, 9 through 13. We're not going to cover all of this, but that's, that's the portion where those who were critical of Jesus, those Pharisees, those religious people say, why is he, why is he eating with such sinners, such tax collectors and, and sinners? And, and Jesus reminds them that he, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. 
sick. It's the sick. And he reminds them that he didn't come to call the righteous or those who think they are righteous, but to, to call those who know they're sinners. Folks, that's me. And that's you. And so our quest now is being part of the ambulance crew. How do we get those sick people in touch with the great physician, Jesus, like Matthew did? I think it begins and ends with the knowledge that the love of God is experienced through Jesus. When you're experiencing that, there's an overflow that allows us to share. The second thing I want you to see in these foundations of faith, that first one is the foundation of love, the second one is the foundation of forgiveness, and that's seen in the story of the Apostle Paul. Abraham Lincoln once said that the, the best way to destroy your enemies is to make them your friends. And that's what God does with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, or Saul at that time, was one of the greatest enemies of the church of God, the movement of God. We know he was persecuting people. He was getting letters from the, the synagogue and from the, the temple to go and get these people, have them arrested who were following Jesus, who were claiming him as the, as the Messiah. And on one of those trips to Damascus, God literally shows him the light. And he is converted. And he has this encounter, this supernatural encounter, maybe a personal encounter, we don't know for sure, with Jesus. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you, you persecuting me? Because as you persecute the church, you're persecuting my body. You're persecuting me. And he has this encounter, and it, it changes his life forever. And we see it three times in the gospel, not the gospel, but the book of Acts. We see that uh, testimony that Paul gives, what it was like before, how he was persecuting the church, how he came to know Christ. That's all of our testimonies, and then what happened after that. And do you realize it took 17 years after that encounter before the Apostle Paul actually went on his missionary journeys and started preaching the gospel. Seventeen years. What was going on in all of that time? I think it's this. It's the foundation of forgiveness. Because we've got to believe the forgiveness of God enough to share it. You see, Paul says several times in his letters, that he is the chief of sinners because he knows where he's been and what he's done, and he knows how he's attacked God and his cause. And all that time, God is preparing him by reminding him, Paul, that's covered. I covered that. I covered that with the blood of my only son, Jesus, on the cross. Sometimes we're paralyzed to move forward. And we've encountered that in trying to recruit BBS workers, people who are scared to share the things that God is teaching them with others, even little children, because they think, I, I don't know enough, I don't deserve enough, I'm not good enough to do any of that. Who is? Who is? If the Apostle Paul says he's not, then who is? Nobody is. But we've got to remember that Jesus, in His goodness, became sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God so that we're covered by His blood. And now that when God looks at us, He looks at us through the precious blood of Jesus and He says, it is finished, it's paid for, it's done, you're forgiven. Oh, I'm glad 
Mark is on the front row giving me a little amen. I know we're Baptists and all that, but that's something to amen about, is it not? He covered us with his precious blood. Children need to know that, don't they? That they're forgiven. Our little granddaughter goes to daycare, and, and evidently she doesn't ever get in trouble at daycare, but other kids at daycare get in trouble, and they go to time out, and she's kind of taking that on. Claire is in time out again. She takes that on her. She's two and a half. Oh, I, we're, we're kind of sad about all of that. We think about how she's feeling all this guilt. Then we're reminded, little Clara, sweet little Clara, Jennifer, she's a sinner like you and me. And she needs covering. And some, we're praying that at some point she'll come to know Christ. But you know what I love about children and what's going on in their lives is that they do, they trust. Adults. Last week, she was jumping off this table in our backyard, about 44 inches. I measured it this morning. And she would just go like head first into my arms. And I was thinking, you know, what if I just, just decided not to catch her? She'd just go splat in the middle of that concrete in the back there. And Honey, that's what she called Jennifer, Honey would be mad at Pops. But I would never do that because I love her. And I want her to know the forgiveness of God. I want children all over this community, not just my granddaughter, but I want all of them to know what's available through Jesus. Because they are open and willing and soft and naive. And you be praying that they would understand the forgiveness of God enough to share it with their friends, those who already know. And let's do it ourselves as as adults and young people, think about that. Have you experienced the forgiveness, the freedom of Jesus Christ? We're not going to cover all of these in that great detail, but I want to lay those two foundations of love and forgiveness. And I want you to pray about the third one especially. That's considering the, the worth that God places on us. And this is the story of the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, 36 through 46. And it looks like God's perfect plan where, where Jesus is in that garden agonizing. And I want you to consider the worth Christ has placed on you. Because that's where the big decision is made. To fulfill the plan of the Father. You recall, he's agonizing in prayer. So much so that he is sweating drops of blood. He is thinking about the pain, of course. He's thinking about the, the method, the mode, the cross, the torture, the humiliation. All of that he took for us, but he's thinking more about the abandonment of the Father and the separation. And he is willing, he is willing to go through all of that because he considers you and me worth it. Now just stop to think about that. Especially on Wednesday of this week as we tell children about that. How valuable you are. You know the value of something or someone is whatever someone else is willing to give for it. There are baseball cards that sell for tens of thousands of dollars. Just a little baseball card. Because someone is willing to give something Valuable for that. Can you imagine your value? 
and mine, paid for by the precious blood of Jesus. Folks, you come to this place, and I don't know how things are going. I know there's a lot of stress, a lot of strain on lots of folks. Change, health, maybe finances. Will you just rest in the fact that you know you matter to God? Jesus shows you how much you matter to God. What he did for you on the cross, he took your place. That's what he was willing to pay for you. I want to give you these other two as we pray, but you just delight in the promise of the resurrection and reestablish or establish your life on Jesus, the rock. What we're going to be teaching children this week about how living for Jesus is the best way to live. That song we, we sing, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. The foolish man builds his house upon the sand. That's a child's song, but it's true. Wise individuals, no matter whether they're children or adults or young people, they build their lives on the truth and the principles of God's Word, of the Scripture. That's why we do Bible school, so that we teach children about God's love, forgiveness, their worth, about the resurrection, and about that firm foundation. Our motto this week is on the wall, Jesus, our strong foundation. And it's not just for kids. So whoever you are, wherever you are, this week you be praying, but you also be remembering. Will you? As an eight-year-old boy, I came to Christ at a revival meeting. Shortly after, or shortly before, I think, Bible school, but I'd been to Bible school a few years already. God had been planting seeds, watering seeds. Then as that eight-year-old boy, he harvested that seed. And there'll be a lot of that stuff going on this week. A lot of you will be involved in kingdom work, eternal work. All of us will be involved at some level. If you want to, will you pray? Will you encourage? Will you give? Everybody can come to family night on Wednesday night. Even if you can't come all through the week, you come and you come watch these kids. And you, that's the party with the purpose that Matthew threw. We're throwing for our, our children and their adult parents on Wednesday night. Come eat a hot dog with us. That's where church people who know the truth, who know about Jesus, get intermingled, intertwined with those who are far from God. Will you do those kind of things? Let's do it together. Oh, Father, oh, we come to you, Lord, offering ourselves this week as we should offer ourselves every week on the altar, service and sacrifice. Lord, I thank you for those who've already committed and those who are going to commit to teaching and praying and working with children and 
and those who have supported and encouraged through the tithes and offerings and through all of the different methods, all of this set that was so lavishly put together. And Father, we thank you and praise you that everybody in this place has a gift to be offered to you. Help us do that, Lord. Help us come to your altar and offer ourselves as a living sacrifice that day in and day out we can, can be the people that will reach people, that you'll use to reach people. We pray in the power of Jesus' name.